Um, as, I, as I was preparing for, for today, I was reading a very f- famous and familiar passage in Matthew chapter 1, and l- let me just, just kind of jump straight into it. In, in verse, I believe it's 21, um, it says, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his, fa- his people from their sins. And then in verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. So literally within three verses, it tells us first that his name is going to be Jesus, and then his name is going to be Emmanuel. And as, as I was reading through this this week, it just kind of hit me. Why do we call him Jesus when his name is Emmanuel? Why do we not call him Emmanuel? And, and so I started studying through this, and, and I just want you to know we're going to have a ton of Scripture, and I've put everything up on the screen, uh, so you'll be able to see this today. But basically what I want to do is I want to trace this through Scripture. And I was telling Jared yesterday, um, the interesting thing is this, this sermon today, the, the, the passages that we're going to be talking about go from the second chapter of the Bible to the second from the end chapter of the Bible. So literally it's cover to cover. And um, so buckle up, we're going to go fast today, but we're going to go through this, uh, through the whole Bible, and we're going to talk about Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so before we, before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. Lord, we thank you for what that means. We thank you for what you have done in our lives and what you have made possible in our lives. And so, God, we just pray that even now, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate the fact that you are God with us. And, Lord, I just I ask that if there's anyone here who, who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that, that you would be their God, that you, they would be your people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're, we've got a lot, of, a lot of verses, and so I want to just jump right in there. Um, stand with me, if you will. We're going to read Matthew um, chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. And that's going to be the, the core of our, of our text for today. And from there, we'll, we'll have some jumping off points. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. This, this passage that's quoted in our, in our verses today, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. This is actually a quote from Isaiah 7, 14. And Isaiah 7, 14 and Isaiah 8, 8, I believe, I can't remember which verse it is in chapter 8, but it's one of the verses in chapter 8, are the only two places in all of Scripture um, that even have the word Emmanuel. Um, 
And Emmanuel is a, is a compound word, and in Hebrew it's actually Emmanuel, is the way you pronounce it, and Emmanuel means with us, uh, actually with us is, and then El is God. So the word Emmanuel literally translated means God is with us. And in those two verses are the only place that that word, Emmanuel, is, is actually in Scripture. However, even though that, that word is only used in, twice in, in all of Scripture, the idea is, is literally, as I said before, from cover to cover. So I want us to walk through this for just a moment. And the first place that we see this idea is, again, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And what I want us to see, and every one of these, these slides have, have a title, and in Genesis 2.8, we see God with us, or Emmanuel, uh, was created. That, that idea, that, that concept was created. And so in Genesis 2.8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And so here's what happened. God created everything that we see, and his special place on the planet was the Garden of Eden. And he, he created Adam first, and placed Adam in there, and then afterwards created Eve from Adam. Um, but it was just, it was man and woman, and it was God. They were together. They were united in a garden. And as we're going to see throughout Scripture, what, what happens with, with all of the Bible, the Bible is almost, it is almost a, a back-and-forth kind of, kind of picture. It, it starts out with, with man and woman in the garden, and it goes down to all the depravity, which happens very quickly. It happens in chapter 3. And the rest of the Bible is, is the unfolding of the redemption of man and woman. And at the very end of the story, at the end of Revelation, what we see is a man, Jesus, and a woman, the bride, the church, in a garden as God with us for all of eternity. And so that's how God has, from, from the very beginning, from before the foundation of the creation of the world, that is what he has planned. And so he created this idyllic paradise that he placed man and woman in, and he was there with them. In the very next chapter, we see that, that God was with us was destroyed. That concept of Emmanuel was actually destroyed. And in verse 8 and also verses 22 through 24, it says, They, talking about Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, God was right there with them. It was Emmanuel. That's what they were experiencing. They, they, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That Emmanuel was destroyed. It was broken. That relationship was broken. And, and he and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God said, Behold, behold the man has become like one of us. No, he, notice he didn't say like me. We have a triune God. We have a plurality in one God, but in three persons. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. So God literally pushed them out, made them leave, made them leave his presence. He pushed them out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, so he drove the man out, also Eve. And, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, and, which is angels. And these aren't little cuddly angels. These are vicious, deadly, you're not going to cross here kind of angel. It, he, he's there with a, with a flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So God physically separated mankind from himself so that Emmanuel was broken. Why? Because of sin. 
It was because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And that has always been our problem. And what we're going to see, and, and this, is, this is kind of the end of the story. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. In, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, however you want to pronounce that name. And he will save his people from their sins. The name Yeshua, which is what Jesus' name actually is in Hebrew, means God is salvation. So every time they were calling his name physically when he was on earth, they were calling out, God is salvation, God is salvation, God is salvation. That's what they were saying every time they were calling his name. And, and so the issue with Emmanuel was it was created and originally designed that we would have a union with God and a relationship, a nearness with God. But because of sin, it was destroyed. It was broken. And God had to force us out because God's holy and he can't be near sin. It's just not possible. So therefore, what he had to do is he had to send a Yeshua. He had to send a salvation so that, that that relationship could be restored. And once that salvation, once that sin situation was taken care of and, and paid for, the penalty was paid for, now we can have this, this union with God again. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the whole story is. The next thing is God was with us by day and by night. See, throughout the whole Old Testament, he, he's, he's portraying this, this thing of, this is what I want. I want this Emmanuel with you. And so as the children of Israel left Egypt, there was a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's physical presence was in their midst. They could see him. If he went right or if he went left, if he went forward, if he stopped, they knew exactly where God's presence was at all times. That's what God wants in our lives. He wants us to be so near that we can feel him and we can see him and we know where he's moving. Look at verse 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Aren't you glad God knows who we are? He knows our frailties. He knows how to take us where we need to go, specific to how we're designed. That's exactly what he was doing with the children of Israel. Verse 18, Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in, in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of, of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now, I want to stop for just a moment. I think this is so cool, and we're going to get to this in just a moment. The word Sukkoth is also, can also be translated Sukkot. Do you know what the word Sukkot means? It means tabernacles. So as soon as God takes them out of Egypt, he takes them to a town called Tabernacles. And for the next 40 years, God is going to tabernacle with them. He is going to be their God. He is going to be in their midst all the time. And once a year, as we're going to see here in just a minute in Leviticus, he calls them to a feast called the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles, where once a year they have to leave their homes, they have to go out and they have to build a little shelter and they have to think about the fact that they're basically wandering pilgrims and, and that God is, is sheltering, he's tabernacling with them. And, and there's this whole idea that he, that he walks through with them every single year for once, once a week, or for a week every year. So I, I just think it's so cool that the very first place that God took them was a place called Tabernacles, even as he was tabernacling with them. Verse 20, Then they set out from Sukkoth, Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. 
Verse 21, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from the people from before the people. So every single day, Emmanuel was physically with them in, the, in this pillar of fire or this, or this, cloud, this pillar of cloud. After that, He's foreshadowing things for them. So if you look in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8, 8 and 9, he says, let them construct a sanctuary for me. If you remember your, your Bible history, in Exodus chapter 20, is when they first come out, they, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've set camp at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, whichever way you want to call it, and, and they're there, and, and God brings Moses up on the, on, the, um, on the mountain and gives him the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus chapter 20. He then goes back down, and the people have, have immediately started breaking the Ten Commandments even before he got back down with them. And so now in, verse, in chapter 25, so just five chapters after God has originally given the, the Ten Commandments, he says, the next thing I want you to do, after I have given you my law, after I have given you my instructions, I have told you how I want you to live, now I want to be a part of you. Church, this has always been God's plan. It's always been God's plan that he tabernacles with us. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. I don't think it, it should ever cease to amaze us that the creator of everything that was, think about this, he spoke and the universe was created. Think about that for just a moment. That God who has that amount of power, that amount of authority, that amount of knowledge, chooses to dwell with us. That's who our God is. He says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all, according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern for the tabernacle and the pattern for all its furniture just as you construct it. And, and we, I'm seriously considering going through the tabernacle this, this coming year. And, and some of the things, well, all of the things that are in the tabernacle all point to Jesus. And I think what God was showing them was, here's this that I'm going to specifically lay out these designs for, and every piece of this is going to point to the Messiah. And, and that Messiah is ultimately going to come and dwell among you, and I am dwelling among you in this tabernacle. After God foreshadowed it, God wanted them to practice it every single year. In Leviticus chapter 23, this is the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles that I was talking about. It says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, or Sukkot. They all go by the same name. For seven days to the Lord. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the Feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of, of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual state, or excuse me, statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Do you think he's wanting them to understand this? He keeps repeating it. Verse 42, you shall live in booths or tabernacles or Sukkot for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
Folks, this is what God wants. He wants us to understand that He is a part of us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is wanting to be who we are. He wants to be with us. So not only did He have them practice it, next He, he, he promised it. In the very next chapter, in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 12, He said, You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figure stone figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments as to carry, so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Now think about this. He had just told them in the previous chapter that I want you once you brought in the harvest, I want you to celebrate for a week. And now he's saying, if you will do all these things, if you will be my people, if you will obey me, then I'm going to give you the rains, and the rains are going to produce the harvest, and then after the harvest, you're going to be able to celebrate the fact that I'm with you all over again. It's this cycle that God is pushing these people through. Verse 4, then I shall give the rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the, fields, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing, listen to this, indeed your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. We're not in an agricultural society like they were, but what he's saying is you're not even going to be able to finish gathering the harvest before it's time to plant again. And before you even start planting again, you're already going to be getting uh, produce from the field, and it's going to be so overwhelming that you're not going to be able to finish it before it's time to plant again. He's saying, I'm going to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you again. Why? So that you can come and celebrate the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and so that you can celebrate the fact that I am with you and I'm your God. That's what he's telling them. Verse 6, I shall also grant peace in the land. Wouldn't you like to have that in America? I will also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land and no sore will pass through your land because you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn towards you, and I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm what? My covenant with you. He's our God. He's with us. Verse 10, you will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. There's going to be so much that you just got to get rid of stuff. Verse 11, moreover, I will make your, my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. What he's saying is we can get back to the Garden of Eden. This sin issue that has so destroyed everything on earth, we can get rid of that if you will just obey me. That's what God wants. And if we will do that, then he will be our God, and we will be his people. So he promised it. But then we get to Hosea, and we see how everything has just been destroyed because we won't obey. We just keep walking away. And so God sent the prophet Hosea, and he told him to actually go and get a prostitute wife and to marry her and have children with her because he wanted it to be an allegory for the nation. So let's read Hosea chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord, which came to Hosea, the son of Beriah, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, 
Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. And the, for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. See, all of these names mean something. Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu, that's, that's the king, that's the rulers, for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Understand what God's saying. He says, I'm fed up with them. I'm just done with them. The whole nation of Israel, I'm finished with them. I'm going to destroy them. I'm just going to make an end to it. And he did. And to this day, we don't know where the ten tribes of the house of Israel even are. We don't know where they're at. And God was telling them, he was telling them, because you have disobeyed me, because you have walked away with me, because you didn't want to have a participation in God with us, you didn't want this Emmanuel thing, you'd rather have your sin. Because of that, I'm just done with you, and I'm going to destroy them. Verse 5, on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. So this is the second baby that, that Hosea and Gomer had. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah. Isn't that a fun name? For I will no longer have compassion. That's what Lo-Ruhamah means. It means no compassion. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by the bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. You see what God's saying? He says, this battle that you guys are getting ready to go into... Israel's going to fall. Judah's going to be victorious. But in neither situation is it going to be because of military might. It's all because of me. God says, if I want to destroy the house of Israel, I'm going to destroy the house of Israel, and there's nothing you can do about it. And if I want to protect the house of Judah, I'm going to protect the house of Judah, and there's nothing that you can do about it. God is sovereign here. He says, I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion and I will not have compassion on those who continue to walk away from me and to break this Emmanuel bond. Verse 8, When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, no compassion, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami. This is where it gets good. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Again, he's just saying, I'm rejecting you. What did he say to them in all the passages that we've read before? All through the wilderness uh, journey, he says, if you will just obey me, if you will just follow me, if you will be my people, I'll be your God. And now he looks at him and he says, I want you to have this third child. His name is Lo-Ami, Lo which means I'm not your God and you're not my people. I'm divorcing you. I'm finished with you. It's over. Verse, verse 10, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And then the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. See, God is also always merciful. Even when we walk away, even when we choose to go our own way, and we do that over and over and over and over again, God always has a remnant. He says, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader. Who do you think that's going to be? That's going to be Jesus. See, one day, this passage is going to be fulfilled. And the Jews and the Christians are going to come back and we're all going to accept our Messiah. And we're going to announce him as our king, as our leader. And we're going to set him up. And Actually, he's going to set himself up in Jerusalem. He doesn't have our help. And he's going to be our leader. 
and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So that's Hosea. So there's devastation, and there's a destroyed covenant, a destroyed Emmanuel, destroyed God with us, but there's always the remnant. There's always the promise. And then if you flip over to Jeremiah chapter 30, he says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the, tent, the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on their dwelling places, and the city will be rebuilt on its ruin, and the palace will stand on its rightful place. From, th from them will proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who celebrate, and I will multiply them and they will not be diminished. I will also honor them and they will not be insignificant, for their children will be as formerly. He's saying, I'm going to restore things, and their congregation shall be established in my presence before me. And I will punish all their oppressors. Their leaders shall be one of them, and their rulers shall come forth from their midst. And I will bring him near, and he shall approach me, for who would dare to risk his, his life to approach me, declares the Lord. And then look at verse 22. We're going to restore this whole thing. His promise is going to come back again. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Church, I just want you to see, and I know we've, we've been going through a lot of Scripture here, from Genesis all the way through the Exodus account, all the way through the, all the, 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 the mess that happened with all the kings and kingdoms, now to Jeremiah, which this is in the, in the, in the exile, and all this, this terrible time, God is orchestrating all of these things so that God can be with us, so that he can be Emmanuel. And he's promising these things. For thousands of years, he's been making these promises to his people that I'm going to come again. I'm going to restore this. I keep trying to tell you to just obey me, and you won't do it. So I'm going to fix it myself. Now we come to our verse today, Matthew 121. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Salvation. Or he will save his people from their sins. You see, what's the problem? Why can't we have God with us? Why couldn't we have it in the Garden of Eden? Why, why couldn't we have it in the 40 years of exile? Why couldn't we have it with all the kings and the kingdoms? Why couldn't we have it with all the prophets? It's because we kept sinning. It's because we kept messing it up. We want it our way. And God's saying, if you'll just be my people, I'll be your God. And we just keep on walking away. So what he says is, my plan, by the way, has always been this, that I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send the second person of the Trinity. He's going to be God incarnate. I'm going to make him be born into the body of a little bitty tiny baby. And he is going to bring salvation. He is going to be the one that destroys the bondage of sin in our lives. And when the sin is gone, now we can put that Emmanuel back to, Now God can put that Emmanuel back together. So that's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, because he is God with us, but he can only be God with us if he's also salvation, because that's our problem, is sin. So in, verse, in John chapter 1, verse 14, this is just another example. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He tabern That's literally what it says. He tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. So when we look at this little baby in the manger, that's what this is all about. It's the fact that God, for some reason that I have no idea why, he would take a bunch of people who, who keep walking away and keep sinning and who won't obey and who are rebellious, and he says, I want you to be my children. I want you to be my family. And I'm going to send my very son, 
and you're going to kill him. But the reason that you're going to do that is because I'm going to pay for your sins to allow this Emmanuel to go back together, to allow God to truly be with us. And that's our story for today. So let's look at the rest of the story. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is after everything has, 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 been, has happened. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has ascended back to the Father. He's sat down. He's interceding for us. And now Peter says, and coming to him as to a living stone, just as a, we're just little pebbles, which has been rejected. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Jesus is the rock. I apologize. We're the, little, we're the living stones. Um, apologize, I, I got on a different tangent. Verse 4, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, that's where I was saying, as little stones, as little pebbles, as living stones are being built up as to a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer as spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious stone then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're dis disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. Here's what, here's what Peter's saying. He says, Jesus is, he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of everything that we have. And because of him, every single person is going to do something with Jesus. We're either going to obey, we're going to believe, or we're going to disobey and we're going to disbelieve. Those are the only two choices. There's nothing in between. And if you obey and if you believe, then he is the cornerstone and he is taking your life and he's molding it into the new temple, the new tabernacle where he is tabernacling with us. He's part of us. We're baptized into him and he's baptized into us. We're one with him. We've been united with him. On the other hand, if you disbelieve, if you're just like, all, just like Adam and Eve, you're just like all those Israelites in the wilderness, you're just like all those folks that live with the prophets and the kings, and you just want your own way, then that very stone is going to crush you. It's going to be the very thing that causes your damnation because you've rejected the only opportunity for salvation and the only opportunity for being reunited with Emmanuel. That's, all, that's the only choice we have. Verse 9. But you, talking to believers, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. What does a priesthood do? It intercedes between God and man. That's our job, folks. Jerry has been screaming this from the, from the rooftops. I am so glad we have got to start being the priest of God. We've got to start getting out into the, into the hedges and the byways and start shaking the fences and saying, look, you've got a problem with God. And I can bring restoration because I have that message living inside of me. It's nothing that I can do, but I can tell you who can do it. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now we're going to go back to Hosea. For you once were not a people. You once were low on me. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy. You were low Ruhama, but now you have received mercy. You see what God's doing? 
He said, this has been my plan all along. And you could not do it because you just kept messing it up. You kept sinning. But I sent my Savior. I sent my Lord. I sent my, my God to you. And that God became your salvation. And because of that salvation, he became Emmanuel with us. That's why Joseph was told to call him both names. Now look at this. This is the end of the story. God with us for all eternity. In Revelation chapter 21, next to the last chapter of the Bible, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I'm really excited about that part. I like the beach. I'm sure God will have something even better. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the what? The tabernacle of God is among men. The Emmanuel, the Sukkot, the Booths, whatever words you want to say, God is with us. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And I and he, excuse me, will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there no longer will be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. You know what that means? It means they cannot be anything other than what I just said. This, you can take it to the bank. This is absolutely going to be the way that it's going to be. He said to me, I, it is done. I am the Alpha, that's the A, and I am the Omega, I'm the Z. I'm the Aleph, and I'm the Tav. However, whatever language, whatever letters you want to use, Jesus says, I'm the beginning, and I'm the end. He, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Church, this is what Christmas is all about. God, in, in his unbelievable omniscience and his, in his un, uh, unbelievable mercy and grace, looked down through time and he created a plan that says, I know every one of them is going to walk away. I know they are because they're fallible and because they're weak. And that's who we are, folks. And, and, and he simply says, I just want you to obey me. I just want you to walk after me. I just want you to love me. And we won't. We just keep walking away. We just keep saying, no, God, I want it my way. I don't care what you say. I want to do it my way. We're just little two-year-olds. That's what we are. And so what God has to do is he had to send a baby that was the perfect solution. His name was salvation. His name was God is salvation. And his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And because of the salvation that Jesus provided, if we will accept that, if we will, we will repent of our sin and turn away from our wickedness and just grab hold of him in faith, it says he won't cast any of us away. And every one of us will have that Emmanuel restored. This morning, I know that I'm talking to a lot of different folks and people that come from many different backgrounds. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Some of you may have went through Christmas after Christmas after Christmas and you've heard these stories and you know kind of what this is all about, but you never really understood that this is a sin problem. That's, that's why we're all broken. 
And if that's you this morning, there is a Savior. There's only one. He's the only one that can do it because He's the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would invite you to the Savior this morning. And if you will accept the Savior, if you will come to the Savior, then you will have God with us. And this Christmas season can be the most unbelievably good Christmas season that you've ever had. And for the rest of us who, who already understand this, we've got friends and family and loved ones and coworkers and everything else that we're going to be talking to over the next several weeks that don't have a clue what I'm talking about. All they see is Santa Claus and presents. They see good times and, and meals and, and just having a really good time. We, we need to be about the business of sharing what this is all about. The fact that God has created all this and we've broken it. And he sent his son, the Savior, to fix it all so that we can truly have this union with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am so amazed at, at, at all the different things that you have put together, literally from Genesis to Revelation, and the story that just is interwoven and so perfectly fits together. God, you are an amazing God. And, and Lord, if you had not saved a one of us, Lord, you would be justified in doing that. But God, out of your great mercy and grace, Lord, you, you have provided the only way that any of us have to ever come to you. And God, I am so thankful for that. I'm eternally thankful for that. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, that today will be the day that they will be saved. Father, we thank you for your work in this place. We pray that you would, you would continue to, to give us the boldness and the, and the desire to go out and, and share your, your gospel with everyone that we come into contact with. First in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.